0: Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tokajer of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshachinu, Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you. We love you and we adore you. Father, I thank you for this Shabbat, for this opportunity you have given us to to gather together as mishpacha, as family to worship before you, to worship in unity in your presence and in the name of Messiah Yeshua. Father, I pray that as we open up your word today that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that it will be your word heard and received, that our hearts will be prepared to hear from you today, that nothing in me will be involved except that which you have ordained specifically for this purpose. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to uh, receive and to hear from you, and I pray that you breathe new life into each and every one of us today. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen. So this week we're in partial Toldot, which comes from Genesis 25, 19 through 28, 9, um, and continues in the narrative of the development of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what is ultimately known as the beginnings of the people of the nation of of Israel, uh, as we've said in previous weeks, uh, it's really interesting as we continually say in our liturgy, blessed are you, O Lord our God, God of our fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob, to be able every year to actually walk through the scriptures and see those, those distinct points in which he became the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And so at this point, we are currently looking at the life of Isaac Uh, What's really interesting is out of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Isaac is the one that we see the least of in the narrative of the development of the nation of Israel. Uh, Abraham, we see a a long story. Jacob, we see a long story. Uh, And then from Jacob, we see the rest of uh, Genesis leading toward the nation of Israel, entering into the land of Egypt, from which we are, are, uh, in essence, going through our gestation period, if you would, of the pregnancy of the infantile nation of uh, Am Yisrael, of the people of Israel, and so this week, as I said, we're looking at the individual of Isaac, the person of Isaac, and his life, and and how the Lord revealed himself to him throughout his life. In particular, I want you to turn to Genesis 26, verse 1, if you have your scriptures with you. Uh, If you don't have your scriptures with you, I'm not really sure what you thought we were going to be doing today, Um, (laughs) but if you have them, open up to Genesis 26, verse 1. Nothing like a fresh cup of coffee to burn your mouth right out the gate. Just the way I like it. Verse 1, now there was a famine in the land aside from the previous famine that had happened in Abraham's days. So Isaac went to King Abimelech uh, of the Philistines to Gerar. So it's interesting, right out the gate we recognize Isaac is kind of reliving some of the same things that Abraham lived through. Um, To some degree, he's also kind of doing some of the same things that Abraham did, which we'll get to in just a moment. Verse two, then Adonai appeared to him and said, speaking to Isaac, do not go down to Egypt, dwell in the land about which I tell you, live as an outsider in this land and I will be with you and bless you for to you and to your seed, I give these lands. I will confirm my pledge that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your seed like the stars of the sky and I will give your seed all these lands. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth will continually be blessed. Because Abraham listened to my voice and kept my charge, my mitzvot, my decrees, and my instructions. We'll pause there. So here we see uh, the Lord is reiterating the blessing, the promise, the covenant that he made with Abraham. He's now reiterating it with Isaac and making it not just a covenant made with Abraham and his descendants, but now a covenant made with Abraham, with Isaac and with his descendants. And the Lord continues to walk through this process as we get to Jacob and so on. And what's really interesting here, and I think this is awesome for us to wrap our heads around, is he's not just a communal God. He's not just the God of the people of Israel. He's not just the God of the people who follow the, the promised Messiah, Yeshua. He's not just a God or the God of all creation. He's your God. He's my God. He's a personal God. He interacts with us on a personal basis, on a personal level, day in and day out, whether or not we're willing to see it, whether or not we're willing to receive it, whether or not we're willing to experience it, to hear it, and to understand it. He is a personal God who desires nothing more than a personal relationship with each and every person who breathes the breath of life that he gave us. So as we look at this, we see this narrative continue on of this covenant made with Abraham and his descendants, now with Isaac, and to be his descendants. Verse 7, we see Abraham or Isaac kind of reiterates some of what Abraham's already done. Verse 7 says, now the men of the place asked about his wife, so he said, she's my sister, because he was afraid to say my wife, or else the men of the place would kill me on account of Rebekah because she's good-looking. She's good um, you would kind of hope... That Abraham would have passed the story along of how this didn't work out so well, not once, but twice, hopefully three times is a charm. So now Isaac's going to do the exact same thing and he's going to say, it's my sister, except this time he didn't quite get as far as it did with uh, Sarah uh uh thankfully it didn't get as far as it could have with sarah either but it doesn't quite get as far as it did with sarah verse 8 now after he had been there a long time king uh uh, abimelech uh, uh, uh abimelech in english abimelech in hebrew of the philistines uh peered down through the window and saw behold isaac caressing his wife rebecca so abimelech called isaac and said so in fact she's your wife now how could you say she's my sister isaac said to him because i said or else i might die because of her then abimelech said what is this that you have done to us one of the people could have easily slept with your wife and you wouldn't you would have brought guilt on us so abimelech commanded all the people uh saying whoever touches this man's uh, this man or his wife will surely die uh so we see isaac kind of reiterates the same mistake that abraham made and everything that goes on there um and it actually plants a seed In his relationship with Abimelech, with Abimelech, it plants a seed of disdain that develops and grows among the people of the Philistines. Notice he's the king of the Philistines. The Philistines become one of Israel's greatest enemies when Israel finally crosses in to the promised land, to the the land of Canaan, post the exodus. They become one of the biggest enemies. As a matter of fact, it's one of the enemies that the, the, the book of Joshua tells us they never actually got rid of. They, they kind of left them to hang out there. And still today, we're dealing with the residual consequence of that. Because although the people, the Philistines, no longer exist... The reason that the Arab people in Israel called the Palestinians adopted that name is because it's from the Greek word for the Philistines, and they knew that the Philistines were a great enemy to Israel. And by the time the Roman Empire had already demolished Jerusalem and and ran uh, the Jewish people out of Israel in the, the first century and beginning of the second century, what we end up seeing is that the Roman Empire changes the name of Eretz Israel, the land of Israel, to the Greek word. Philistia, which is the Greek word for Philistines, or Pilishtim in Hebrew, Philistia in Greek, and when we see the the Arab people in the, the late 1940s beginning to uh, try and, and, and fight against Israel. What they end up doing is calling themselves the Palestinians, which is from the Arabic word for the Greek word Philistia, which is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Philistim. And we see this process continue. So we still are dealing with the residual consequence, although not the same people, but the residual consequence of the fact that our people did not rid the land of the, the original inhabitants as God had called us to do. So we continue on in this narrative of of Isaac and his journey uh, and what the Lord is trying to reveal to him. him. And we see that in uh, chapter 26, verse 12, that it says he sowed the land and he reaped a hundredfold because Adonai blessed him and continue to bless him above and beyond anything you can imagine. This began to cause some some strife between him and the Philistines, which by the way, the strife was already there because of the whole Rebecca scenario and everything that ensued from there. So now a seed was planted of this, this aggression, this strife between the Philistines and the, the, the to be israelites uh in particular isaac at this point in his descendancy and that began to grow the rift began to grow more as they see that isaac is being blessed tremendously by the god of abraham his forefather and they become envious and jealous This is potentially going on somewhere in the same time period of the famine itself or perhaps at the end of the famine when the Philistines, like many of of the rest of the people around, were already suffering and hungry. And now they see this new guy come in who is being blessed beyond imagination and he sows a little seed and this huge result comes back, this huge harvest comes back and they get angry. So in verse 16, so Abimelech, the king of the Philistines said to Isaac, go away from us for you... Are much more powerful than us. Now, Isaac can't go far, right? Because the Lord's already said, don't leave this land. Do not leave the boundaries of the land that I have given to you and your descendants for all eternity. Do not leave the land of Israel. It's the same thing that Abraham said to Eliezer when he sent Eliezer back to Badan to look for a wife for Isaac. He said, don't let my son leave this land. This is the land of promise. This is the land God is giving us. Do not take him away from here. You either bring a wife back or you're free of this deal, but do not take him away. And so the Lord reiterates that to Isaac, do not leave the land. Do not leave the blessing and the promise that you are currently walking in for any reason. So when Abimelech says, get up and go out of our way because you're much more powerful than us. Notice this is one family that this nation is saying is more powerful than they are. And so he he says, all right, cool. He says, he gets up, he departs from there, verse 17, and he camped in the valley of Gerar and dwelled there. Then Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of his father Abraham. The Philistines had stopped them up after Abraham's death. He gave them the same names that his father had given them. Then Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of living water there. But the shepherds of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's shepherds, saying, the water is ours. So he named the well quarrel because they quarreled with him. Then he dug another well and they quarreled over it as well. Uh, So he named it accusation. Verse 22, then he moved from there and dug another well and they did not quarrel over it. So he named it wide spaces and said, because now Adonai has created wide spaces for us and we will be fruitful in the land. Verse 23, he went up from there to Bezheba, to the, uh, the, the well of oaths or the, the well of seven, which is where uh, Abraham had an encounter with the Lord and, and was blessed and received uh, the covenant relationship with him. So what we see here in verse 17 is that as Isaac is traveling, he, he camps, he starts to dig up the wells, but not just any well. He's not like trying to find something new. He's backtracking to where his father had already been. Because there's nothing better we can learn than the lessons of the past so that we don't repeat them in the future. So he's going back to the wells that his father had already dug up, wells that his father had already gleaned from, wells that his father had been blessed by and that had blessed other people through, wells that had already been named because of the blessing of God. And so he starts to dig these wells up. And it's interesting that he's got to redig these wells because the Philistines had stopped them up. The Philistines had gotten rid of them, had closed them up and covered them so they could not be uh, gleaned from again. And he goes back and he digs these wells and he finds water and he doesn't just dig them again, the wells that his father had, but he names them the same name that his father gave. So he, he revives these names that his father gave him. And I think it's really interesting that we notice here the Philistines have stopped up And filled in the wells that Abraham dug. This can, uh, I believe, be seen as an effort to wipe Abraham's existence out, or the memory of his existence at least. The enemy trying to erase his memory and with it God's promises to Abraham and to his seed. However, they were reestablished by Isaac. Not just reestablished, but named the same names. The names were were, uh, given again, and even though taken away from Isaac, by those uh, in the valley of Gerar that came in and said, no, these aren't yours, we want them, they're ours, they still served not only as a blessing to Isaac and his household, but also as a blessing to the nations. Because it doesn't say that the Philistines then went and recovered him. It just says he took them and said, these are ours. So this is, in my opinion, a foreshadowing of the Ma'echayim, the living waters that would flow from the seed of Abraham. That will flow from the person of Yeshua because as we look, as we talked last week, right, we talked about this, the spirit of of animosity towards the Jewish people, the spirit of anti-Semitism, which I believe is the root of the spirit of of the anti-Messiah because the anti-Messiah's goal is to to try and stop the Messiah from coming back. He spent thousands of years trying to stop the Messiah from coming in the first place, and it didn't work because God is greater. And Messiah comes and the enemy tries to change his plan around He goes, okay well I'll I'll just try to stop him from coming back how do I do that I do it by stopping the Jewish people just like I did before I tried to stop the Jewish people so that the Messiah wouldn't come I'll try to stop him from believing him as Messiah so he doesn't come back because it all hinges upon the the Jewish people the nation of Israel as a whole and so here we see that the enemy uh tried to hide the seed of Abraham tried to hide the blessing to the nations by the seed of Abraham by Abraham and his digging of the these wells and the waters of life that would come forth from it by stopping up these wells so that the nations could not be blessed by it. But we serve a God who is greater. And so as Isaac loops back around again, following some of the same footsteps as his forefather Abraham, he loops back around and he digs these wells up again and he renames them the same names that his father gave them. And when they're taken away from them, they become a blessing to the nations. And I want you to let this sink in for a moment. Because about 150 years Post Messiah's death, burial, resurrection, the waters of life that is Messiah Yeshua was taken away from his Jewish heritage and identity and made something completely new and something completely different by the Gentile church as it developed. Now, this is. This is not an accusation against the church. Don't get me wrong, please. Do not take me wrong on this. This was the goal of the enemy who knew that Paul said the nations were brought into the body of Messiah to drive the Jew to jealousy for his God. So in the same way that the wells were snatched away from Isaac and became a blessing to the nations, so did the waters of life of Messiah, the wells that will never run dry of Messiah, were snatched away from Israel, from the Jewish people, and made to be something different, yet was still a tremendous tremendous, tremendous blessing to the nations and still is a blessing to the nations. And in turn, the nations, in spite of what the spirit of anti-Semitism, the root of the spirit of anti-Messiah have tried to do, in spite of that, Jewish people have still come to salvation and the promised Messiah of Israel, the person of Yeshua HaMashiach. And so we see this foreshadowing occurring here in this, this narrative of Isaac's life and And we continue on in verse 23, Uh, it says, he went up to Beersheba, uh, Beersheba, verse 24, Adonai appeared to him that night and said, and he's reiterating this covenant again, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your seed for the sake of Abraham, my servant. So he built an altar there and called on the name of Adonai. He pitched his tent there and Isaac's servants, Hollowed out a well there as well So yet again, they dig another well and it's really interesting here that after all of this the lord Reiterates his covenant again with isaac. He reiterates his covenant with abraham And now with isaac and he's going to reiterate with jacob and He's going to reiterate it over and over and over and over again with the descendancy of abraham isaac and jacob The people of israel all the way through to uh, to, to messiah coming and offering his life as a sacrifice for us And guess what? He hasn't stopped reiterating that promise and that covenant with the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, since. It is still being reiterated day in and day out over and over and over again. And I love this image of this well, this image of this well being dug and the waters of life coming forth that go on to continue to bless the nations. And we see this imagery spoken of by Yeshua, right? In John chapter four, we see Yeshua is in Samaria in the part of the north of Israel. And he's in Samaria and he comes across the Samaritan woman at the well and he walks up to the well and he begins to talk. And this is a well that was used by Jacob and left uh, for his descendants. Verse 5 says, so he came to a Samaritan town called Shechem uh, in, in modern Hebrew Shechem. Uh, this is where the, the, the uh, tomb of Joseph is, is in Shechem, what's now known as Nablus, uh, if you stand in Harbracha, and hopefully if you go with us to Israel next year, you'll be able to stand on Harbracha or Mount Gerizim, the Mount of Blessings with us, and look over into Nablus, what's known biblically as Shechem, and see the beauty uh, of Joseph's tomb there and, and the fact that no matter what the enemy tries to do, the memory of God's chosen people is always going to be there and the land is always going to be ours. But he says in verse 5, so he comes to a Samaritan town called Shechem, near the plot of land that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. So Yeshua, exhausted from the the journey, was sitting by the well. It was midday. A Samaritan woman comes to draw water. Give me a drink, Yeshua tells her, for his disciples had gone away to to, to the town to buy food. Then the Samaritan woman tells him, how is it that you, a Jew, asks me, a Samaritan uh, woman, for a drink? For Jewish people don't deal with the Samaritans. Verse 10, Yeshua replied to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who is saying to you, give me a drink, you could have asked him. And he would have given you living waters. He would have given you maim chayim. Sir, the woman tells him, you don't have a bucket and the well is deep. Then from where do you get this living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us this well. He drank out of it himself with his sons and his cattle. Verse 13, Yeshua replied to her, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him shall never be thirsty the water that I give will become a fountain of water within him, a spring, a springing up to eternal life. So, we see in, in the, the narrative in Genesis chapter 26 about uh, Isaac redigging the wells of his father and the living water that comes forth and the blessing that it becomes for the nations around them when they were trying to do something spiteful to uh, Isaac. It ends up becoming a blessing to them, anyways. And here we see in, in John chapter 4 this, this interaction with a Samaritan woman, and Yeshua is thirsty and he cries out, Hey, give me some water. And she says, what are you coming to me for? I'm a Samaritan. Don't you have Jews you could go to? Why are you coming to me? And he says, look, uh, just give me some water. Uh, He goes, if you knew who I was, if you recognized what I am, you would have asked me for water. And I would have given you waters of life that will never run dry. It's a powerful image because these waters of life that will never run dry are the waters through which the entire world will be blessed. It's the same waters through which when Israel comes to salvation, when Israel comes to faith and the promised Messiah of Israel, the, the, the person of Yeshua Mashiach who offered his life as a sacrifice for our sins, it will be like life from the dead for the nations. It will be a phenomenal, tremendous, mind-blowing revival as the Jewish people, the promised Uh, uh, people, the promised people, the people of covenant come to the reality of the fulfillment of the covenant that was made with their forefather and recognize the blessing that Messiah is And continues to be for the nations and wants to be for our people. And so as we look at this, we recognize Yeshua says, I will give you waters of life that will never run dry. Because if you drink the waters from the ground here, if you drink the waters from the river, from the Gulf, from the bay, from wherever it is, you open up the tap on your sink, you open up the the dispenser over in the the kitchen, you open up a, a bottle of Dasani, whatever it may be, you will eventually get thirsty again. Without fail, you will get thirsty again. And he says, but I come to give you waters of life that will never run dry, and you will never thirst again. What are these waters of life? Where do they come from? These waters of life are very literally the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit that the Lord gives so that we can in turn, continue to be a blessing. It is a well that never runs dry. It is a well that continues to flow. And it is through this well that the Lord uses us and speaks through us into the lives of others. It is through this well that the Lord continues to be a blessing uh, through our lives to the nations around us. And it is through this well that the enemy, just like with Abraham's wells that he dug, that Isaac re-dug, that the Philistines had closed up, that the enemy is constantly trying to bring a stop to over and over and over again. And no matter what phase and place you are in your life and how good or bad things are going, trust me, the enemy is going to try to mess up your day in a very serious way over and over and over again. And all he's trying to do is cut you off from the waters of life that will never run dry. All he's trying to do is to shut down the reality of the promises of Messiah Yeshua. All he's trying to do is shut down what the Lord wants to do in you and through you for the world around you. John chapter 15, verse 5. I'm sorry, verse 18. John 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it, is, it has hated me before you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but you are not of the world since I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for the sake of my name, because they do not know the one who sent me. Listen, the world's not going to mess with you. The enemy is not going to mess with you because of you. And if you think it is, it's because you're arrogant. It's not because of you. It's because of who is in you. It's because of Messiah Yeshua. The enemy hates Messiah, and he wants to destroy Messiah and every ounce of the testimony of Messiah in our lives. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no, would have no sin, uh, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Verse 23, he who hates me also hates my father. If I had, done, had not done works among them that no one else did, they would have no sin, but now they have seen and have hated both me and my father. So is fulfilled the word written in their scripture. They hated me for no reason. Verse 26, when the helper comes, speaking of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also testify because you have uh, been with me from the beginning. See, it's important for us to understand that the the world around us, the world doesn't, doesn't hate us they hate what we represent. They hate who it is that resides within us. They hate the waters of life, the wells of of living water that spring forth. They hate the joy that you and I carry. They hate the peace that you and I have, not because they don't want it, but because they've never known it. And Yeshua says in John 17, when he's praying uh, uh, to the father, he says, I pray that that the, those with me will be one, speaking of the body of Messiah, that those with me will be one as I and you, the Father, are one, so that the world will know who sent me, so that the world will know who it is that is sending them. The problem is, is we're not one. We're fragmented. The body of Messiah, the bride of Messiah is fragmented. We're divided, we're separated, we're broken. And the world doesn't see Messiah in us, not because Messiah is not in us, but because we're so fragmented that the world can't see who sent us and so the enemy is using these divisions to try and stop up the wells of life that the lord is springing forth in our lives yeshua said in other places in the gospel when the helper when the ruach comes we'd be able to do even greater things than he did i don't know how you top some of the stuff he did but we can apparently it is possible i don't know what it looks like but it's possible As long as we walk faithfully in the waters of life that will never run dry, as long as we continue to dig into His presence, you know when a well is dug, it has to be serviced every so often, because eventually the wind can fill it up with the dust and the dirt and the the muck around it, so it has to be serviced every once in a while. Your life as a disciple of Yeshua, the discipline that goes along with that day in and day out, is how you service that well. And how that well is constantly being filled over and over and over again with living waters. The enemy wants to break you down. He wants to break down your life as a disciple. So that that servicing of that well continue doesn't continue. And when that servicing of that well doesn't continue, then the Philistines, spiritually speaking, can come in and fill that hole back up. And then those waters of life are not flowing forth for you to receive from or anyone else around you to receive from. But the promise that was made through Yeshua is that his waters, the waters of life that will never run dry, will quench your thirst for now and forevermore. So no matter what the enemy is trying to do to you and in your life, trying to do through you to other people, no matter how he's trying to break you down, no matter how he's trying to demolish your faith, no matter how he's trying to demolish the image of Messiah that the Lord wants to flow through you so the world can see him in you, know that the enemy can never overtake the waters of life. Know that the enemy, no matter what the day around you, the scenario you find yourself in looks like or how bad it is, that the enemy will never win. Know that no matter what the enemy throws your way, it is that much more important for you to fall in line day in and day out with the discipline of being a disciple of Yeshua. Servicing that well day in and day out, moment by moment. The B'rach says to, to continue to pray ceasingly or without cease, to never stop. It's not pray and stop, but never stop praying. Always be in that place where you're interacting with the presence of the Lord. Always be in that place where you are listening for His voice. Unfortunately, a lot of times we think praying means we have to be talking. And sometimes we can't hear the Lord because we're too busy hearing ourselves. Sometimes we can't hear what He wants to say because we really wants is for us to shut up long enough for Him to get a word in edgewise. It's important for us to, to listen to that voice. Prayer is more about what we receive than it is about what we give. Just like worship is more about what we are able to give back to the Lord than it is what we receive. You understand how that works? Worship is not about what we can take from the Lord. It's about what we give to Him. Prayer is about what we get from Him. And you can't truly worship the Lord wholeheartedly if you're not listening to Him. If you're not receiving him if you're not interacting with him if you're not in him day in and day out it's important that we as followers of messiah take our example from isaac and not try to find a new way around things not try to go and dig up new wells but that we go back to the wells that never ran dry in the first place we go back to the wells that the lord has always provided for his people from the wells of salvation the well of life that will never run dry in Messiah Yeshua. We don't try to rename it. We don't try to find a new way to, to adorn it and to make it look more beautiful or to put something else around it, but we follow the ways that have always been followed by the people of Messiah. You've got to understand that the Lord did not intend for the body of Messiah to be made up of a Gentile church and a Messianic Jewish community. He intended for us to be one in Him. Jew and Gentile one in Messiah. The only reason we exist in any other fashion is because we allowed the enemy to try to derail the waters of life that will never run dry. And because we've allowed this disunity to occur, just like Israel allowed the Philistines to remain in the land, and it has continued to provide residual strife thousands of years later. In the same sense, the body of Messiah has allowed the divisions to remain, which in essence has, rather than a stream of water that continues to flow, we've managed to fork it. And the world doesn't see who sent us, because all they see is that we're too wrapped up in us. And more importantly, what they see is the enemy's work in our midst, not that we are of the enemy but they see that we are allowing the enemy to have his way in the body of Messiah. It's important that we understand that we must go back to the wells that we first knew. That we must day in and day out continue to service these wells and discipline and discipleship. And recognize that the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he will not leave you or forsake you. And no matter what the world around you tries to throw at you, just as Isaac learned when the Philistines tried to run him out, when the Philistines tried to take over the well, the Lord is going to provide. We've got to get out of our own human mind. We've got to get out of our own thoughts and and anguish where we get hung up in the here and now and the problems that we find ourselves in. And learn how to dig in in those times of troubles. Learn how to dig into the wells of living water that will never run dry. That doesn't mean the enemy will stop fighting you. What it does mean is you'll find a way out. What it does mean is that you'll recognize that the Lord is fighting for you, that the Lord has your back, that the Lord has you taken care of. Just as he says to Jacob, in chapter, I'm sorry, Isaac in chapter 26 of Genesis, verse 24. Adonai appeared to him that night and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. And I will bless you and multiply your seed for the sake of Abraham, my servant. Do not be afraid, for the Lord is with you. He is fighting for you. He has paved the way. Walk in his way. Trust in him. And know that the light will not be overtaken by the darkness of this world. Avrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, I thank you that in spite of how we allow the enemy to have a play day in our lives over and over and over again, that, Father, you are always there tapping on our shoulders saying, I'm here, I've got you, I'm taking care of it. Trust in me, turn back to me, make Teshuvah and return back to me faithfully and see the work that I want to do in your life and through your life for the world around you. Father, I cry out to you right now that you will make your living waters, your Mayim chayim, your wells of living waters spring forth in our lives and in this congregation. And from here, blessing all of those around us just as you promised would occur. Father, so that the world may know who sent us. So the world may know who is in us. And so the world may find you in their hearts and their lives because of what you were doing through us and through your words spoken through us. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray and everyone says, Amen, Amen.